I want to speak to you today from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'd really encourage you to open your Bibles there, or if you have the Bible app, look for an event near you, and you can follow along that way. We're talking about lids, and remember what a lid is. A lid is something on top of you that holds you down, that keeps you from becoming who God wants you to be. We've talked about the lid of the lid of nearsightedness, where you only see things near you. You're never thinking ahead. And then we talked about the, the lid of rearsightedness, where you kind of are living in the past. And, oh, why isn't things like they used to be? Why aren't things like they used to be? And we've talked about as well the lid of covetousness. Today I want to talk to you about the lid of arrogance. The lid of arrogance. You, you probably heard this story or a story like it about the rookie DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, agent, who was, uh, I don't know where he was. Let's put him in Texas. He's on a ranch in Texas. He goes up to this rancher, this older guy, and he says, hey, I am here to inspect your ranch for drugs. And uh, the rancher says, sure, but I just want to tell you, uh, you can't go into the south pasture field. And the DEA agent takes out his badge and he says, see this badge? I can go anywhere I want to, whenever I want to, for any reason I want to. And there's no one can stop me. This badge says no one can stop me. Do you see the badge? And the old rancher says, I see it. Please have at it. <laughs> Go wherever you wish. So right away, that agent went into the south pasture field. And as quick as a whistle, he's running back out with a mean, angry bull on his tail running out behind him. And you know what the rancher's doing, right? He's kind of sitting on a ranch on, on the fence there. And he's just watching. And he goes, hey, show him your badge. Show him your badge. <laughs> oh, man. Most of us love hearing things like that, right? Because it shows us the arrogant being humbled. And we like that. I mean, who hasn't relished the sentiment, how the mighty have fallen? It just feels kind of good. Because we don't like arrogance. We don't like arrogance when we see it in other people. And if we are, if we are self-aware, we know that arrogance is in our own hearts and we don't like it when we see it there. When I finished this message this morning, one of the elders in the early service came up to me and he said, Pastor, that was a good sermon. All these people here really needed to hear it. <laughs> and what he was saying was, uh, we all need this because arrogance is something that is common to man and it is something we don't like. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be thought of as arrogant. It is not just us who finds arrogance objectionable. God does. In fact, you can read about that sort of thing when Jesus is speaking. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, he says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God humbles the arrogant. James says it very clearly. He says, He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, the arrogant, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the arrogant. And in the passage we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see as well that God opposes the arrogant. Uh, Peter's speaking to elders, he's speaking to leaders, but his words apply to all of us. He even speaks to young, younger people in this passage. It's less than a dozen verses. Follow along silently as I read them for you. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. 
Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now there's a key phrase there that I want to point out to you where it says in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Isn't that kind of an odd phrase that God would lift you up? I think of God lifting me up maybe if I'm dealing with some kind of depression and he lifts me up. I think of a person who needs healed and God lifts him up. I think of maybe when I'm just feeling downtrodden and God comes beside me and lifts me up. But as I'm thinking of this, this is a matter of exaltation. And so I kind of see... I kind of see, and forgive me if this seems a little irreverent to you, but I kind of imagine God looking at the humble person who has served him in humility and coming behind him, scooping that person up onto his shoulders and saying, this is my humble servant. I am exalting him because of his humble faithfulness for me. Read the verse again. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God lifting you up. Arrogance cannot hold you down when God lifts you up. I want to take a look at what Peter's saying here. And I want to point out to you that he speaks a lot about the exact opposite of arrogance in this passage. And one of the things that comes out, it may not strike you immediately when you look at the text, but one of them is that those people who have dealt with arrogance are team players. And if you want to deal with arrogance in your life, then you're going to have to see yourself as a team player. Arrogance never cooperates with the team. Arrogance does its own thing. Arrogance can be dictatorial and demanding and telling you arrogance can function as a lone wolf, even like I'm the man and you're not. Peter actually has become the opposite of that by the time he's writing here. I say that because of verse one. Look at it again. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. (laughs) He doesn't act like the alpha male here. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a team player with you. I'm a cooperator with you. You've probably seen leaders. You've probably even seen pastors who who don't value the concept of cooperation, who kind of see themselves as the lone leader and who don't interact with, with a team. I've seen that frequently through my years of ministry. And in that, I really see the error. I see the value of being a team player. And so as a team player, I want to cooperate with other pastors in my community. Even when I don't agree with them about everything, I want to cooperate with them. 
I want to be a team player with other pastors in my denomination, even when I don't agree with them. I don't want to be arrogant and say, well, I can't cooperate with that. I want to cooperate with my elders in the church. I said to one of the elders this morning, I'm planning to cancel the evening activities tonight because of Mr. McCulley. And he, he said, absolutely. And, and he didn't say this, but I would have thought that he'd be thinking, this is a no-brainer. Why are you checking with me? You know why? Because I'm not a lone wolf. I'm not an alpha male. I'm a team player. And I want to cooperate because I've seen over and over and over again there are hazards involved in being a loner. And I think kind of, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly, Peter is warning about this without even trying. (laughs) I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Wait a minute. Think about who this is. This is Peter. (laughs) This is the rock, right? I mean, Peter is the one when Jesus said, who do you say I am? There's 12 of them there. You know, some of them are like, man, I hope he doesn't call on me. I don't know who he is. You know, I don't know what to say. What should I say? Man, people are saying a lot of different things. Peter speaks up. He's the man. He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. That's who I think you are. That's who I think you are. I mean, if anyone had the right to say, this is how it ought to be, it would be Peter. But Peter doesn't behave that way. He's humble. He's gentle. He's kind. He's a team player. Arrogance does not value team players. And so arrogance is a lid. Peter says we are to serve one another in love. And again, it's not explicit there, but it is implied. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over them, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Have you ever worked with someone who complains all the time? Wow, that makes a long eight-hour day. I'm not sure why, but a couple guys just looked at each other here and thought, yeah, I was talking about you, I think, right? We all have, right? That makes a bad job, a bad working environment. If there's that person that's always complaining, 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 right? And it's misery in the kingdom of God. It's actually damaging in the kingdom of God. People who serve because they have to and not because they want to are not people that I want to be around. And that doesn't mean you should stop serving if you're serving out of duty. You shouldn't listen and say, Pastor Steve says that if I'm not serving others in love and because I want to, then I should stop. Don't stop serving. Stop being so arrogant that you feel like you don't have to serve. Wow, that was forceful. Somebody said to me this morning that they love it when Bernie comes because he kind of tells it like it is. So that's why I said that. I just wanted to be Bernie for a minute, right? Listen, here's what Peter's doing. He's talking to your heart. He's talking to our hearts. He's saying, choose to do what it is that God has for you to do because you love people. Because you love doing it. So setting up for Easter Sunday breakfast. Can't believe I have to do this. Look at these people coming in. They're late. Don't be that guy. Or worship team music. Man, we never sing the songs that I want to sing. Don't be that guy. (laughs) We don't have anyone like that on our worship team, thank God, right? Or Sunday school teachers. Oh, these rugrats. I hate these kids. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that person. Instead, he says that you serve because you love to, because you want to honor God. Arrogance doesn't serve in love. And so arrogance is a lid. The opposite of arrogance 
would be living a life of goodness. I mean, it's at the end of verse 3. We don't have to say too much about it. Those last five words are being examples to the flock. So I will be an example. If I'm arrogant, I'll be a bad example. But if I can get rid of the lid of arrogance, I will be a good example to the flock. If I can be humble, humility. There are several observations about humility in this text. One of them is, and I got, I got to say, before I tell you, before I use this phrase, it is so counter to what the Christian and Missionary Alliance teaches all the time that I almost feel like, it, like, don't tell anyone I'm telling you this, okay? All right, here it is. Ready? Humility is a do-it-yourself project. Here's why it's counter to what the Christian and Missionary Alliance teaches, because we believe Jesus is our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And so Jesus does the heavy lifting on our sanctification. So our humility then would be a Jesus project. Jesus is the one who makes us humble. Yes and no. Yes and no. The scripture over and over again counsels us to do this, to be humble. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to churches and he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and catch this phrase, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, there's that word, gentleness, and patience. Huh. Put on humility, kind of like you're putting on a sports coat or a nice pair of jeans. You put them on. You make the choice. You take the initiative. Granted, you will need God's help in doing this, but it's something you are instructed to be about the work of doing. <laughs> in our passage, Peter says it the same way. He says in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. I was thinking about this issue of, okay, this do-it-yourself project of being humbled. Why does God want me to do that myself? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were pretty good? You're pretty smart? You're, you're the guy who can do it. Maybe on a ball field you feel that way. Or you're the best shot when you're all going out. Or, or maybe you're the best cook in the family. I'm the best cook in the family. And did something happen that just humbled you right there? You know what I'm talking about? Wow, we put him in his place. We slam dunked that. Yeah, that's good. Being humbled by someone else is very seldom a pleasant experience. And God does humble the arrogance. And I can't find a place in Scripture where it says, and that's fun when God humbles you. It just doesn't say that. And so I wonder if one of the reasons that God says, put on humility and humble yourselves is because when you do it, it's quite comfortable as opposed to when God does it for you. You understand? Hmm. I don't want someone else to be the instrument of my humbling. I'd be smart to do it myself. By the way, another observation about humility is that humility is a matter of trust. It's always been a matter of trust. Billy Joel was right. right? Hmm. One of Peter's most well-known verses, most well-known saying is verse 7. You know, in the past couple months when Josh has prayed, I've heard him use this phrase. We cast all our cares on you, all our anxiety on you, because you care for us. It's right there, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's probably the most famous thing Peter ever said. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right in the middle of a text about humility, Peter tells us to cast our anxiety on Jesus. Why? Because casting your anxiety on him is an exercise in humility. Arrogance says, I can handle this. I can do this myself. I don't need to cast my anxiety on Jesus. I got this. I'm the guy. Humility says, I can't. I can't carry this load. I need you to carry it for me, Jesus. 
I need you to carry it for him. Humility is a matter of trusting Jesus that he will carry it for you. And humility is a matter of wisdom. It's a smart thing. I say that because of the way Peter wraps this up, starting in verse 5 where he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Be aware of him. Arrogance doesn't see that. Arrogance says, I don't care. I'm not afraid of him. I am not afraid of Satan. Bring it. Bring it. What a foolish thing to say. Neither you nor I can stand before the enemy in our own strength. Only in the authority of Christ. Only in his authority. Arrogance doesn't see that. Arrogance is downright foolish. And that is how arrogance is a lid, that, that it makes you do foolish things. Some years ago, I was good friends with a doctor. I'm still good friends with him. I don't get to see him like I used to. He was actually a surgeon. And he was brilliant. He was good at everything he did. He was intelligent. And because of that, he was just a little arrogant. Can you imagine a doctor having a little bit of arrogance? Hard to imagine, isn't it? So I used to tell him doctor jokes because I felt like it was my job to help him. Hey, Nate, do you know the difference between God and a doctor? What, Steve? What's the difference? God doesn't think he's a doctor. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. (laughs) You know, it is good when your doctor is confident, but it is offensive when you're doctor is arrogant. One time there was a guy who went to the doctor where a condition he had and the doctor was kind of arrogant. To whom uh, have you consulted? With whom have you consulted concerning your condition previous to coming to me? Uh, I talked to the pharmacist down the street at the drugstore, Joey. I talked to him about it. A pharmacist. You went to a pharmacist about it. And what kind of counsel did that guy give you? He told me to come and see you. (laughs) You see, arrogance is a thing that brings about a sort of foolishness in our lives and and in our hearts. And uh, it's not an attractive kind of thing at all. It makes us do foolish things. And sometimes those foolish things have life-changing repercussions. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine became involved with a married woman in his congregation. And the weirdest thing about it, the weirdest thing about it is, (laughs) is that he left himself open to accusation all the time. It was like, how can you do this? I mean, if you're going to sin, you should cover it up. That's what your brain's thinking, right? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why is it you're being so stupid you're going to get busted doing this? I think you're doing this. I'm not sure you're doing this, but by all accounts, it looks like you're doing this. How can you be so stupid? And some people said, I think that he was that Wait so that he could get caught. I think he wanted to get caught. That's a deep psychological answer. I think it was a lot simpler. I think he was just so arrogant, he thought no one would call him on it. I think it was arrogance. Arrogance. I was once talking to a man who was attending my church. Uh, He claimed to be a Christian. And he told me, this was before the internet. I'm going to say this in a careful way, okay? He told me that he had subscribed to some literature that came in a mail that was of adult nature. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? Okay. And uh, he'd been attending my church for a while, and he told me this while we're at Mahaffey Camp. We're out in the East Trailer Court there. Uh, he was married. He had a couple daughters at the time. Yeah, pastor, I'm a subscriber. <laughs> you know, lots of people can't handle that, but I can. <laughs> and I said to him at the time, I said, you know, and it's because I'm, I'm trying to be nice, right? So I said, you know, that's probably unwise. Maybe even sin. Let me just say this. That is sin. It's probably unwise. Maybe even sin. And then he said something that I categorize as 
the foolishness of arrogance. Oh, pastor, I can look at the beauty of creation and just admire it, and it doesn't cause me to lust at all. I wanted to laugh, but I didn't because I knew it wasn't funny. A year or so later, I was talking to a sister who attended my church faithfully. I said, I haven't seen your brother in, in months. She said, yeah, he's going through some hard times. He, he found another woman and he left his wife. She left him. He lost his home. He lost his two daughters. And he lost that all because of the foolishness of arrogance. You see how ugly arrogance is. You see, it makes you feel stronger than you are, better than you are, wiser than you are. It lies to you that you will never get caught. But the scripture says very clearly that you may be sure your sin will find you out. And arrogance is a lid because it makes you do foolish things. Moreover, it prevents you from seeking growth. Leo Tolstoy, he's a good Russian author. He's dead now. But when he was alive, he was a good Russian author. He says this, An arrogant person considers himself perfect. This is the chief harm of arrogance. It interferes with a person's main task in life, becoming a better person. You know, as you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this guy named Peter seems to have a problem with arrogance. I mean, Peter is the guy who, when when Jesus begins to explain that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to die, he's going to be handed over to sinful men and killed and, and, and everything else, Peter, well, listen to what it says. It says in Mark 8.32, Peter spoke plain, I'm sorry, Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You get the picture? Jesus, Jesus, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. You can't be saying this kind of stuff. What are you thinking, Jesus? What's wrong with you? That's wrong. What kind of arrogance does it take to do that? <laughs> A lot of arrogance. But by the time Peter writes these words, Peter does not seem to have a problem with arrogance anymore. Ever wonder why? Why? I think the arrogance was probably snuffed out the third time the rooster crowed. Do you understand that sentence? You know the story. Before Jesus goes to the cross, Peter arrogantly says, even if everyone else abandons you, I'll never abandon you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. Huh. Wow. And Peter denies him three times. You know, the last sentence in that story, it's so sad. Speaking of Peter in Luke, Luke twenty-two sixty-two, and he went outside and wept bitterly. I think that's when Peter's arrogance began to breathe its final breaths. Arrogance is a lid. Because it, arrogance is a lid because it prevents you from pursuing the kind of growth that you should pursue. And it can make you ignorant to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're driving, do you see these signs? Turn, 35 mile an hour. We have a state trooper comes to the early service. I said, is that the law or is that just a suggestion? He told me it's a law. I don't know if I buy that. Right? Because I've... When I was younger, I used to think I can double that. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) But here's what I know. I can go a lot faster than 35 mile an hour around that curve in my Camry. It's just not a problem. I can go right around that. I got good tires. I got good suspension. I don't have to go 35. Evidently, when PennDOT makes those signs, they're thinking one of two things. Maybe they're exaggerating. Like they're saying 35 when you can do it 45. Or maybe they're thinking of somebody other than me an 18-wheeler driver. I don't know. Here's what I do know. That when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he does not exaggerate. When he says, you need to quit doing that, 
He's not saying slow down about it. When he says you need to begin to do this, he's not saying you ought to give that some thought. He's not exaggerating. He's not speaking hyperbole. And second, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he's not speaking to somebody else. He's speaking to you. And if you arrogantly ignore him, if you're that guy, that girl, who just consistently lives by and asserts your own opinion and arrogantly pushes your own agenda and manipulatively works to get your way, then you will never hear him speak to you about where you should volunteer and what you should surrender and how you can have a better marriage and how you can address the problems in your family and how you should spend the holiday and how you should prioritize your entire life. You'll never hear it because you think he's talking hyperbole or maybe he's talking to someone else, but he's not talking to you because you're too arrogant to hear the words. Huh. Arrogance is a lid. Keeps you from hearing the voice of God. And it simply deprives you of God's blessing. I don't have a lot to say about that, except he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So how do you get rid of this lid? How do you remove the lid of arrogance? Well, it's going to take a couple twists. One of them is that you're going to have to change the way you view yourself. Arrogant people see themselves inaccurately. And if this is your lid, you're going to need to fix that. In 1995, my boss said to me, my district superintendent said these words to me. This will sound, when I tell you he said this, you'll think, what kind of jerk is he? Listen to what he said. He said, Steve, no one is indispensable. Everyone is expendable. Who says that in the kingdom of God? Everyone is expendable. No one is indispensable. That sounds so harsh to me, but it was something I needed to hear. Do you understand why? Because in my arrogance, I felt that I was indispensable. And because of that, I was pushing myself in ministry at a pace that was unsustainable and damaging to my family and to my spiritual life. Arrogance. Not looking at yourself like you should. Arrogance. Feeling like in your pride, ministry can't go on without you. The family can't go on without you. You're the one that has to be in charge and in control and manipulating. And that's damaging. It's limiting. It's just ugly. Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So I'm not supposed to think I'm a nobody. (laughs) That's a different kind of arrogance. But I better not allow myself to think that I'm indispensable. What I need to understand is that I need to see myself as God sees me. A gifted member of the body of Christ called to do whatever it is he has for me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. If you want to remove the lid of arrogance from your life, you might have to adjust the way you view yourself, and you'll probably have to adjust the way you view God. Because James says that God opposes a proud but shows favor to the humble. Why? Why does God not like people that are a little bit arrogant? Can't he give us a break on that? Because it's an affront to him. I guarantee you've said this sentence before because I say it. Notice I didn't say I've said it. I say it. Here it is. Ready? How could God let this happen to me? How could God allow this to happen? Why does God allow this divorce? Why does God allow this this loss? Why does God allow this pain, this suffering? How does God, why does he do that? How does God allow this to happen? And here's what you may or may not have thought of, but kind of lying underneath that is the next sentence that you don't dare speak after all I've done for him. (laughs) 
How could God let this happen to me after all I've done for him? Let me just say this real clearly. God doesn't owe me anything. And he doesn't owe you anything. And it's not about me. And it's not about you. It is about him. And every good thing that you have is a manifestation of his grace and his love for you. Nothing more, nothing less. And he has shown you grace and he has shown you kindness and he has shown you love. Not because you deserved it, because what you deserved was the exact opposite. But the arrogant don't understand that. The arrogant view God as owing them something. And if you want to be rid of this lid of arrogance in your life, you're going to have to get rid of that unbiblical perspective of God. Change the way you view God. Third, adjust the way you think of people. People in general, but I'm going to talk about people in the church. When I say the church, I mean the body of Christ. The people who are, are trusting in Christ as their Savior. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the people when I say the church. I have family members, and you probably do too, and I love them. Family members who make it their hobby to attack Christians. And to attack the church. All churches do is ask for money. That's how churches are. Just wolves in sheep clothing. Do you see that thing? Look at the abuses found in religion. More wars are started for religion than any other thing. That is not true, by the way. The Encyclopedia of War says it's 9%, if my memory serves me right, that are started because of religion. But my teachers in my school told me it was religion that was the major factor. It's a lie. But people like to do that. They like to attack the body of Christ, the church. Now look, we all know the church has its faults, right? Churches have faults because churches have people. A pastor used to say this when I was growing up. He used to say, when you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. He's right on there, huh? Right? But in spite of her faults, the church is deeply loved by God. He loves you and me. He loves us. He calls us his body the body of Christ. When you think of that phrase, the body of Christ, you think of a couple different things. The first thing you should think of is that which hung on the cross on your behalf. It was the body of Christ. I would never trash talk that, would you? Another thing you think of when you think of the body of Christ is the bread that you take at communion, the body of Christ. I would never speak disparagingly regarding that, would you? And the third thing you think of when you think of the body of Christ, is people who trust in Christ. I don't want to speak disparagingly about that. And if I do, it becomes a lid of arrogance on my life that I think I'm better than them. I'm not. We're not. We're people. People with foibles, with weaknesses. People who God loves, who God transforms. God is redeemed by his amazing power. If you want to be rid of the lid of arrogance, you might need to change the way you think about people. You know what? If this is one of your lids, you need to own it. You know? I loved what that elder said. Remember what he said? That was a great sermon, Pastor. Those people really needed it. Don't do that. He's being funny. You need to own it. This is one of my lids. I have this problem with arrogance when I look around at other people. And then you need to do it yourself when it comes to clothing yourself with humility. 
Because you don't want God to humble you. That is not a pleasant experience. And so you say, God, right now, I divorce myself from the arrogance that I've been involved in. I humble myself before you. And then, ask Him to change your heart. Because a supernatural change needs to happen in here. Go to the cross. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my arrogance to you. If you want to do that, I'd like to lead you in prayer to do that. I'd like to ask you to stand, if you would stand. And I want to just give you a moment to think about this lid. Is this a lid that you have in your life? It's a lid I have in my life. Okay? Don't do this. Don't say, hey, if the pastor has it, it must be okay. This pastor has never stood on a pedestal. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. (laughs) As a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Let's get rid of this lid. Let's own it. Let's say, yep, I'm arrogant sometimes. And then let's say, I choose to take this cloak of arrogance off and clothe myself in humility. And then let's say, Jesus, I need you to make this happen in my life. Transform me. I'm going to pray to that end. If this is what you want, then in the silence of your heart, you pray as well. Father in heaven, arrogance is just so common and so easy to allow ourselves to be caught up in. And we know that it is wrong. We know it is a lid. We know that it prevents us from being who you want us to be. And so here and now, we admit our arrogance. We confess our sin. And we choose to repent of it, to take it off, and to clothe ourselves in humility. Not saying that we are a nobody, but but just saying that we are who you have made us, and we will do what you have for us to do. We will need the Spirit of God. We will need you, Holy Spirit, to make that happen in our lives. Please do so, for Christ's sake. Amen. You were the